City Light, how you doing? All right, I'm glad that you uh, got up an hour late and drove in to uh, worship with us this morning. I'm excited about today. I think it's going to be a fun day because today is Missions Sunday. Okay, so one thing we want to do from the very outset of starting City Light Southwest Iowa is just set aside um, one week each fall to focus intentionally on international missions. In other words, the efforts of God's people to take his good news from here to the ends of the earth. So that everybody between us and the ends of the earth might get to hear it. Okay, so this morning is Mission Sunday. Now we'll talk about missions as often as the Bible talks about missions. We preach through the Bible and whenever it comes up we're going to talk about it. But this morning is Mission Sunday. So we're going to give it a little bit of a special emphasis. Now we say often the mission of City Light Church, our purpose, our passion, the reason that we're here, what we're about, what we intend to do, what we feel called to, the mission of City Light Church is to multiply disciples and churches that love Jesus Christ. Okay, say this after me, to multiply disciples and churches. You got it. That's it. That's our mission. That's why we're here. We want to multiply disciples and churches that love Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that that mission was happening long before we ever came on the scene. Okay, we've been around for a couple months. City Light Council Bluff that planted us here has been around for a couple years. The whole City Light movement has been around for almost six years. The mission of God has been moving since long before that, okay? Since Jesus walked this earth, since God created the first man and woman in the heart of God before creation ever happened, there was this mission and this purpose for God to get the glory in his church, in his people, okay? So today, I want to let you know our mission is to multiply disciples and churches. That mission started, that spark that lit a fiery torch of mission that sparked long before we came on the scene in fact i think the first spark of mission in the same vein that we went in was trace those roots all the way back to the book of acts okay and so we're going to look at acts today to see how did this missions movement start where did it begin and how does it still shape us today and so this morning We'll look at the Bible on the front end, and then we'll look at how that shapes us today on the back end. Okay, that's the plan. That's where we're going. You guys in that with me. Um, let's start in the book of Acts, okay? Early on, we're going to actually do a little survey from Acts chapter 10 all the way to Acts chapter 14. So if you want to grab a Bible around you, we'll jump around a little bit, but you can turn to Acts chapter 10. That's where we'll um, dig in first. As we look at the book of Acts, early, early on, we see that the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, that gospel moved primarily among the Jews, okay? It moved primarily among the people of Israel. We see that early in the book of Acts, like when Peter gave a sermon at the day we now call Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came up, filled a bunch of people, and there were flaming tongues of fire, and people spoke in foreign tongues, and thousands gave their lives to Jesus. On that day, people uh, Peter addressed a crowd of primarily Jews. It was kind of a family thing. And then later on, uh, Peter and John were walking, and they saw a man who was born lame, 
from birth, and he was begging, asking for help. And Peter and John looked down at him and said, uh, silver and gold we don't have, but everything that we do have we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know what he did? He stood up and walked. And then he started leaping and jumping and praising God. Do you remember where they were? They were right outside the temple gates. And once that man got healed, he went into the temple and jumped and leaped and praised God. This was early on almost a family affair. The movement of the gospel started among the Jews, but it wouldn't stay there for very long. We see very quickly on the heels of that movement inside the family of the people of God uh, that God had a bigger purpose, a grander plan. We see that grander plan when um, Philip took a man who was cut off and left out and brought him in to the family of God as he baptized an Ethiopian eunuch on the side of the desert road. Then later we see Peter baptized a Roman centurion and his whole household. Jason read that to us just moments ago. And as you read those stories, we get the idea or the sense that God's people are wondering, God, what are you doing? God, why those people? You get the sense they don't understand what is going on. See, the people of Israel, they knew at least a couple things about God. They knew that God had chosen Israel as the people by whom he would make himself known to the rest of the world. Israel was God's chosen people. They knew that. And they also knew that God had promised to send a Savior who would save his people from their sins and make them right with God again. So they knew these two things. Israel was God's chosen people, and God would send a Savior. And when they put those two things together, they thought God was sending a Savior for Israel only. But they were wrong. And they knew they were wrong because an Ethiopian eunuch and a Roman centurion got saved too. They started to wonder, what are you doing? You just don't get it. This doesn't line up with our expectations. Where are you going? Why, God? What are you doing? And so um, I want to look at how the Jewish followers of Jesus responded after Peter preached to the Roman centurion, after what Jason just read to us. Let's look again at Acts chapter 10, verse 45. It says, And the believers from among the circumcised, Okay, that's followers of Jesus who were also Jews. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were amazed. We thought God was going in one direction, but it looks like he's going in a whole nother direction. That word amazed in the original language that the Bible was written in in Greek, that word amazed, it can be uh, translated uh, to be thrown off course or to be displaced, to be thrown out of position. And so when the Bible says that they were amazed that the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who weren't Jewish, on people who God had not chosen, it was like they were thrown out of place. They expected God to move in a certain way. They thought that God was on a certain path, that he was going to save Israel alone. But then when the Ethiopian eunuch and the Roman centurion got saved, they thought, God, you must be on a different path. We must, we must be in the wrong place. We are getting thrown off 
they asked the question, God, what are you doing? And here's what they said. They're not touching my wife yet. And, you know, I think if we talk to them, I think we can get in the same place that they're in, can't we? We can ask the question, God, what are you doing? It might sound a little bit different for us today. When we ask that question, I think oftentimes it can sound like, man, why would a new church like this set aside time to talk about international missions in Central Kansas? Why would that be on our hearts? We're a brand new church, right? We've still got a lot of stuff to get figured out right here. We've still got a lot of people who need to be reached right here. Didn't we plant this church to reach the 40,000 people who don't know Jesus that live within a half hour drive of where we sit? Isn't that why we planned this church? Why would we talk about church planting and international missions? Doesn't that just, just church planting, that just distracts from what we're doing right here. Man, if we send our resources overseas to places we'll never visit and people we'll never meet, doesn't that just dilute our, uh, our impact that we could have right here? God, why would you want us to do that? God, what are you doing? I think we can ask the same kinds of questions. It just sounds a little different. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered that? Man, I think when we ask those questions, God, what are you doing? I think it's a wrestle that we have when we know that God's plan includes us. Okay? Track with me. God loves people in southwest Iowa. He loves people in Emerson and Red Oak and Malvern and Oakland and Imogene and Essex and all over. God loves these people. He loves southwest Iowa. He's got a purpose and a plan for us right here. And we want to embrace that. God's plan includes us for sure. But it doesn't center us. Okay? God's plan includes us for sure. We don't ever want to ignore that or forget that. But it doesn't center on us. You know the difference? If God's plan includes us, but it doesn't center on us, then we could say God's plan includes us, but it's bigger than us, God. So we're part of something that God is doing that's bigger than you and I, that's bigger than the room that we're sitting in. And so if that's what we can know about God, that his mission to multiply disciples and churches includes Southwest Iowa, but it's bigger than Southwest Iowa, then missions is something we get excited about. We get to buy into it. And I think that's what the early Christians caught on to as they heard Peter explain what happened when he preached to the Roman centurion. I think this, this click happens in their minds and a change takes place. Um, I want to look at, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. I want to look at how the early Christians responded when they heard what happened at the Roman centurion's house. Okay, let's look at this together. Peter just told them about the vision. He preached the gospel. They got baptized. They got filled up with the Holy Spirit. Here's Acts chapter 11, verses 16 through 18, processing together what happened. Peter said, and I remember the word of the Lord. That's the word of Jesus. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that. There will be a mark. John baptized with water, but when you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, uh, when I give you that gift, then you'll know that was me. Okay? Jesus said that. If then God gave the same gift to them 
the Gentiles as he gave to us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that if I was on one track and God was on another, that I didn't need to be displaced or thrown out of position? Who am I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, those early Christians, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. To the Gentiles also. God's plan included them, but it was bigger than them too. Peter remembered what Jesus said, and it lined up with what they were seeing and experiencing. And a change change happened in the hearts of the early Christians. They went from asking the question, God, what are you doing, to making a declaration, God, I see what you're doing. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's not just us. It's everybody. It's not just here. It's everywhere. And they made a switch from saying, come and see to go and tell. A big change happened. And in that clip, I want to look at two specific changes that happened in these early, early Christians. When people went from, God, what are you doing? To, God, I see what you're doing. Here's two changes that I see in the book of Acts. First, churches got planted in new places. And second, missionaries were sent to new places. Okay? Two changes happened when the people of God sought the mission of God. Here it is. Churches got planted in new places. So, um, the early church, they caught wind that some of their friends, some of these early Christians, had moved up to Antioch in Syria. And those people, they were kind of ahead of the curve because they weren't particular about who they shared Jesus with. They just talked to anybody and everybody about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people started getting saved. And here's what Acts chapter 11 says about what was starting to happen. And the hand of the Lord was with them, the Christians in Antioch, and a great number who believed came to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so moving forward, this movement, the spread of the gospel moves out of Jerusalem into Antioch. Now, Antioch's in Syria. It's north of Israel. There are about 300 miles that separate Antioch from Jerusalem, and so there's all kinds of reasons why God could not be moving in that place, but he was. And we know he was because a great number came to the Lord there. And so the question at hand is, when the early church in Jerusalem heard that God was on the move in a place they did not expect him to be on the move, how would they respond? How would the early church respond when people were getting saved who weren't in their family, who weren't in their place, who weren't near them and next to them, how would that happen? And what we see is that early church shifted from, no, they're not like us, they're not near us, to, when it's God on the move, we want to be involved. They caught wind of what was happening in Antioch, and they got in. They saw the beginnings of a new church plant, a new uh, manifestation of the people of God in Syrian Antioch. They said, man, if that's a new church, they're going to need leaders. And so they sent leaders like Barnabas to them to help them be built up and grow. They sent resources. They gave support. 
They no longer stood in the way of what God was doing. They stepped out of the way, and they just wanted to pour fuel on the fire. This is international church planting. This is the first spark of the mission torch that we still carry today. That early church in Jerusalem gave support so that a church was planted and began to thrive in Antioch in Syria. Far away from them, a different kind of people, God was moving in a different way, and they said, yes, we want to be part of it. So they got planted in Antioch. Not only that, missionaries got sent to new places. One more verb. Um, Here it is, Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. This is the beginning of the church in Antioch. While they, the Antioch church, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Sent them out. Okay? Now, I want to tell you, this church in Antioch was maybe two years old. Okay? Very young church. Very new church, right? When they started, they were the new mission team. When they started, they were the church that had leaders sent to support them and build them up. That had resources given to them so that they could thrive in a new place. And now, two years later, you see what happened? The receiving church became the sending church. The receiving church was worshiping and praying much like what we're doing here today. And as they were doing that, they just heard from God, hey, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And you know what that early church did? They knew what that meant, that the mission of God included them, but it was bigger than that. The kingdom of God was taking ground in places that, wasn't, that weren't near them, and so they sent out their best leaders, Barnabas and Saul, to go out. Sent those guys out, those missionaries crossed a sea and and traversed an island then they crossed the sea again and when they landed they climbed mountains and got stoned and kept going and came back it was a missionary journey if you heard me say they climbed mountains and got stoned and thought about going to denver that's a different kind of thing okay i'm just gonna say it right now they they didn't drive up a paved mountain road and get stoned recreationally they hiked up a primitive mountain trail and literally had people threaten their lives by throwing stones at them and trying to kill them, okay? It was a missionary journey, and they endured it all so that the word of God could be taken to places and people who'd never heard it. International mission, the very beginning. Churches got planted in new places. Missionaries got sent to new places. And so, City Light, I want to bring this home. Back to Bible. This is the very beginning, the first missionary journey. I want to bring it home for a little while this morning, okay? How do we stand in line? How do we carry the legacy that started all the way back in Acts and has made it a couple thousand years to us today? How does the legacy not stop with us but keep going? How do we carry this torch and not let it go out? Well, we do it in at least two ways. We support two international missions efforts um, from the very beginning here at City Light Southwest Iowa. I want to tell you about just these just two things, okay? Um, one is Myrna in Morocco, okay? Myrna in Morocco. Morocco is in North Africa. It's just south of Spain across the Strait of Gibraltar, okay? So it's like 
touching the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea, all the way up there in the corner of North Africa. Morocco is a closed country to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's dangerous to talk about Jesus there like we talk about him here. You can get in trouble. You risk your um, ability to stay in the country. You risk losing your life to share Jesus there like we talk about him here. Myrna grew up in this area, and now she lives in Morocco telling people there about Jesus. That's not very safe. Uh, She's been there for decades, uh, even though it's closed. Uh, She leads an orphanage in Morocco. She's a care volunteer there. There are about 25 kids in the orphanage where she serves. Those kids get food and clothes and health care and school and Bible classes, all because Myrna and a couple others have decided, man, we're going to commit to this. We're going to make it happen. And so they invest in these kids. They are required to send those kids to public school during the day. And that public school teaches those kids from the Quran. They teach them Islamic culture, uh, living in a Muslim society. And then those kids go back to the orphanage and they have Myrna teaching them about Jesus. And she has to send them there. If she doesn't send them to school, she doesn't get to have them as the orphans. Why would the government let her do that? They let her do it because those orphans, man, she cares for them. But the orphans, they're not on the government roster, and the government doesn't have to pay those orphans. So Myrna has 25 kids that get to hear about Jesus because she's committed to spreading the gospel in a land where that is not allowed. Hers is a story of faithfully planting seeds that she may never get to see the fruit. Uh, Myrna's story is one of decades of risk. She can't publicly share about Jesus, but she can privately show his love. It's decades of investment, decades of knowing that God's plan includes her, but it's bigger than her too. Decades of missions to the ends of the earth, 25 kids at least. You support Myrna in taking the gospel to the earth. Uh, So that's one. Uh, We love Myrna. We love Morocco. The other international missions effort that we support here is called Imana Kids. Imana Kids is an orphan care ministry to orphans and vulnerable children in Rwanda, Africa. Rwanda is sort of in east-central Africa near the Congo. It's a small country about the size of Maryland. Um, To tell you about Imana Kids, I want to give you some statistics and then tell the story. Some of you are numbers people, so let me give you a few. Imana Kids is five years old. Uh, Around 175 kids are currently matched with a sponsor. Over 120 American families have made a sponsor son or daughter part of their family. And uh, the orphan crisis in Rwanda continues. There are around 3,000 registered orphans. uh, That's orphans that the government recognizes in Rwanda. And conservative estimates say there are at least that many more. So the crisis is significant. There are over 6,000 children in Rwanda that live in poverty, without homes, without parents, and largely without access. And so uh, those numbers tell part of the story. I want to fill in the gaps. Um, Imana Kids started when one family happened to be here with us, uh, Ryan and Claire Higgins, adopted Ezekiel and Etienne, were those boys, part of their family. They grew up in an orphanage in Rwanda. And then 
Ryan Garrett adopted them. They brought them home, made them part of their family, and then shortly after they got home, the countries we were around had closed to foreign adoptions. That meant the other orphans that lived in Rwanda would not have a chance to be adopted into a family that provides for them and loves them and bring them up so that they know their values and culture. And that just wasn't acceptable in the hearts of Ryan Kara and their friends. And so when they heard about this, they prayed about it. They built a team. They wondered, God, what would you have us do? And they decided, man, we're going to go back. James 127 kind of inspired them. Um, James 127 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion before God, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so the Higgins went back to Rwanda. They wanted to visit um, the most forgotten kids in the most forgotten place they could find. And so that led them to an orphanage in the Kimi Cigar District of the capital city, Kigali. And in the Kimi Cigar District, there was a compound on the side of a hill run by um, a mechanic who allowed orphans to stay there on his property. There were over 100 that called that compound their home. That compound was dirty. Uh, Literally, most of the floors were dirt. And there was only one tiny faucet, almost like a drinking fountain style faucet um, for water. So it was a very dirty place. It was a dangerous place. It's built into a side hill. There were walls around it that at once would have protected the kids um, from falling, but most of those walls were crumbling. And in some places, nothing stood between these little kids and a 30 foot fall uh, down the hill um, on the side. It was, uh, a, uh, it was a dangerous place. Uh, it was also a place where most of the kids that lived there survived on one cup of rice and beans every day. Okay, I pulled it from here. Rice and beans, one cup each day. It was a place where kids did not get loved and cared for. Many people did not know their names or their stories. They weren't provided for physically or spiritually. I remember visiting those kids in 2014, and I got to ask them, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are your hopes and dreams? And you know how most of those kids responded? I don't know. They were so overcome by poverty um, and hunger and the orphan lifestyle that most of their thought was put into things like, will I get to eat tonight? Will I be safe when I go to sleep Will I have clothes to wear next week? Most of their life was um, so overwhelmed by the orphan lifestyle that they had never dreamed being an orphan before. It's almost unimaginable to us. But those kids could not answer the question. It was the embodiment of orphans in their affliction that James 1 talks about. And so those children inspired Imana kids in the native language imana means god and so we knew that god loved those kids we knew their names we knew their stories they were god's kids or imana kids and so we started a sponsorship program and in short order all 100 of those children were matched with a sponsor whose sponsor dollars would provide food clothing boarding school fees and a small stipend for an in-country 
director who happened to be a man named James O'Donkin. Okay, that uh, man, James, his job description was mostly pastor dad. Okay, as a dad, he would do what most dads do. He would visit them daily to make sure that they were clothed and fed and safe and healthy. But that's not all he did. He was a pastor kind of dad. He's actually a local pastor. And so um, James made it his goal to tell these kids about Jesus. Uh, He told them that even though they might not have a father in this world, they have a father in heaven who loves them and knows them. He taught them that God the Father loves them so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to live and die for them so that they could enter into a new family. That they don't have a family on this earth, they have a family forever, the family of God. And James told them about that. He told them that believing in Jesus the Savior means they get a family. Those kids may have been forgotten by the world, but they were never forgotten by the one who created them. And so James invested in them, and now those kids take turns leading Bible studies with each other every single night. Uh, Those kids serve on the worship team at their local church. One of the young women is actually the worship leader, and she does an amazing job, and they love telling other people about how Jesus has changed their lives. The mission uh, of Amana's kids is making disciples to the ends of the earth, and that organization, Amana kids, has grown a lot since those early days. They're multiplying disciples, and now they're multiplying churches, too, and you get to be a part of that. So the next stage of growth for Amana kids is uh, is building what's called Hope Village. Okay, We want to create a place where these kids who had no hope actually get hope in Jesus. And so uh, Amana kids has bought some land, and next year they'll break ground. They want to build a uh, church, a school, a community of homes that will be for foster families to live in. And there will be a clinic right there to take care of the physical needs of those kids. And so Hope Village will break ground next year. And the first building that we're going to build is the building that will house the church. And since City Light uh, has a connection with Amana Kids, we get the honor of getting to lead the church planting effort over there. And so we're multiplying disciples and churches to the ends of the earth. And so right away, what we want to do here in City Light Southwest Iowa is buy into that. And so as we've prayed about it and talked about it, um, we've committed to sponsoring one of the uh, men who will be a pastor at this new church plant starting next year. It's $260 a month. We can pay for seminary for a, for a young man in Rwanda. $260 doesn't cover one credit hour in the United States, but it covers all of the classes um, for a whole month over there. And so for $260 a month, we can help prepare pastor of a new church. We can help bring hope to a group of amazing kids. We can impact a growing community that doesn't currently have any churches. And we can contribute to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's where we just need to make support. And so we support Myrna in Morocco, and we support Imana kids in Rwanda. So I want to wrap this up um, by going back to the Bible story. The early Christians, they asked the question, God, what are you doing? And then they moved to, God, I see what you're doing. But they didn't stop there. Look at Acts 14, verses 26 through 27. This is what Peter said when he got back. Uh, Sorry, this is what Paul said when he got back on his first missionary journey. From there, they sailed to Antioch. That's, they got home. 
where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. When they got back, they declared all that God had done with them, them with God. So when they got sent out, they left their church family, but they didn't leave God. They were with him. They were with God. And so they went from, God, what are you doing? To God, I see what you're doing. To God, I'll join with what you're doing. See how I said? So today I just want to say, let's be a church that says, I'll join with what you're doing. Not just ask the question. We want to ask the question, God, what are you doing? We want to see where he's going and where he's building his church and his people. And then we want to say, I'll join with what you're doing. What does that look like? I think for some of us today, it looks like just reckoning with the reality that God's plan includes you. It includes you. What we're doing here, this good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ, that's good news for you. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've never known him, then today is the day. His plan includes you. It's not just for people out there. It's not just for somebody somewhere else. It's not for people who are from the right place or talk the right way or dress the right way. God's plan includes you. Jesus died for you. So if you've never known that, if you've never believed that, today's the day. Would you turn to him? We're here for that purpose. For others of you joining with what God is doing, looks like just saying, Cam, I'll go. I'll go to mean all kinds of things. For some of us, I think it might mean just prayer, actually praying for missionaries. Now, if you don't have a thriving prayer life, you don't know what a prayer warrior is, and there's no prayer closet in your house, that's okay. I think one of the reasons people don't have a thriving prayer life is they just say, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to say. Let me give you a list. You can pray for Myrna in Morocco, that God would bless the efforts that she's doing there to invest the gospel good news into kids that don't get to hear it anywhere else. Pray for Myrna in Morocco. Pray for Amana kids. Pray that we wouldn't stop at 175, but that we would make a huge dent in the 6,000 kids that need uh, love and investment in Rwanda. Pray that the church that's planted takes off there and that the village that's built gives hope. Would you pray for Myrna in Morocco and for Mana kids in Iraq? Some of us join with what God is doing in prayer. For others, uh, I think maybe it's financial support. You say, man, I don't know who to support or how to support the church. Listen. You can jump in. If you ever give a gift to uh, uh, City Light Southwest Iowa, if you write Myrna or Imana Kids, those dollars will go straight to these missions. You can be part of supporting them and we'll be supporting the work here. I just want to close with this. I think for some people it may be a bigger picture. In the book of Acts, the church was fasting and praying and worshiping. And as they did that, God said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do. I wonder today if we're doing the same thing. If we're worshiping and praying and we're asking God, where are you going? What are you doing? I wonder if he might answer that. I wonder if God might say even here, set apart for me somebody. That might be you. Okay? God doesn't just prop up missionaries from somewhere else to do something else. It's from his people. And so today it might be you. God might be saying, set apart for me you to go. Maybe it's to plant a church 
next in a neighboring town. Maybe it's to spend a life like Myrna has in Morocco among people who never get to hear the gospel. But I think God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that means what he did is what he was doing and what he will continue to do. If you think missionaries back then, that is the same church you carry now, I think you still think you're doing that. Amen? And so City Life, what a joy it would be to send people to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel message that includes us somewhere too far away to go. Let's be a people that preach the gospel and mission of God here and everywhere. Would you guys pray with me? Great and awesome God, I thank you that uh, what you did is what you're doing and what you will always do. I thank you that the stories in Acts aren't so different from the stories that we see today. God, you planted a church in Antioch in Syria, and two years later, it was sending missionaries and planting churches. Here today, you planted a church in Council Bluffs. It just turned two years old, and now this church is here, and it's planting churches. And we want to send missionaries. God, we pray that in the next two years, City Light Southwest Iowa would be a body of people who have been blessed by you, pursuing you, so we see where you're going, so we can plant churches in these places and send missionaries to these places. Oh God, never let us be people. Never let us believe that your mission centers in us. Always set before us that it's bigger than us. And oh God, for anybody in this room who's never known you, would you convince them today that your mission is to send people who are like the orphans in Rwanda who don't have a father uh, in this world. They know the good news that God the Father loves them, has a plan, has a story for them, to protect them, to sustain them, to provide for them now and for all of their days. That's good news. And there are people right here that need to hear that. That's you. I'm trying to be that today. I need a father like that. I need a Savior like that. I need hope like that. Would you actually do that today? And then for others, God, if you are calling them out of this place to take your good news beyond this place, God, would you not let that settle? Or like you said to Jeremiah in the Old Testament, you said your word was like a fire in his bones. He could not hold it in even if he tried. And God, I pray that you would put that kind of fire in us. We couldn't hold it in even if we tried. You would send us from here all over the world. God, you get the glory in City Life Southwest Iowa and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. City Light, we're going to take communion this morning. Um, we do this every week. It's just a reminder that uh, Jesus is for us, that he loves us. We're going to remember what he's done. And so um, it's going to look like this. There will be servers who have bread and juice. And um, you can come forward. The servers will tear off the bread and hand it to you and remind you that Jesus' body was broken for you. The mission of God includes you. He wants to save you. And you can take that bread, dip it in the juice, and then you'll eat it. Remember that the same God who um, sent his son, the same God who came to earth to live and die and rise again, is the God who sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And so you'll eat that bread um, and remember that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Um, there will be a uh, bread and juice in the front. And if you need a gluten-free option, you can find that in the back. Um, City Life, if you know Jesus is your Savior, come celebrate in your way. If you don't, can I just ask you this morning, would you sit down and do business with God? Nobody around you. You don't have to come up. Would you do business with Jesus this morning? Would you receive the Savior that the Bible talks about? Would you do that this morning? Let's do that. City Life, you guys